0: But we're here for a real education <laughs> dee de- 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 oh, Welcome to another live version of a real education We are here once again at the beautiful Pepito's Parkway Theater in Minneapolis For a showing of double indemnity I am joined as always by my co-host and movie expert, Melissa Kersher Hello I am not, however, joined by our young protege, Jenna Young She was not a- unable to be today, so we had to enlist a stunt Jenna. We had to go out and find somebody who had not seen the movie we are about to see. And uh, what we opted to do is go for the easiest possible choice. Somebody who could ride to the theater with me. And we brought my son, Alex. At... Hi, I'm Jenna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's me, Alex. You're Alex. Did I trick you?
0: Did, did you? Uh, well, you're standing right next to me, so it's uh, hard. But maybe mm-hmm. you tricked the folks on the on the podcast. So, Uh, Alex, what we need to do, the movie we are watching, is Double Indemnity, and you, like Jenna, you're her part, so you need to tell us what you know about the movie Double Indemnity.
1: I forgot to look up the word indemnity.
0: (laughs) So, you quite literally only know the meaning of one of the two words in the title of the film. Yes. And you know nothing about the movie at all. Nope. Even though we were talking about it a little earlier, you didn't listen in.
1: Mm, You were talking about it earlier?
0: Yeah, well... He's 14 years old, and he was on his DS, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so you can talk about anything with a 14-year-old who is on his DS, and he won't hear a thing. So, so,
2: what, so whatever an indemnity is, there's two of them. Presumably. There are two of them.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, that's, that's kind of what I guess.
0: That's kind of okay. what you guess. All right. Uh, so we will go through some very non. Is a, It's a small audience today, but is there anybody here who's never seen this film? Uh, everybody here. Oh, Yay! we have. We have. We have another movie. Besides Alex. So, in a non spoiler kind of way, we will explain a little bit about the film. This is a film by Billy Wilder. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talk about directors a lot on uh, Real Education. It's the first film we've watched directed by Billy Wilder, but I think uh, Billy Wilder is a very important director. I mean, if you, obviously it's a matter of opinion, but if you, just about any list of top 10 directors would probably include. Billy Wilder on the list. Yeah,
2: he was he was uh, very influential on in American pop culture for several decades, kind of kind of like Hitchcock. Only Billy Wilder was a very uh, versatile director. He yeah. could direct just about any sort of genre. So he was doing comedies. He was doing film noir. He was, you know, crime, action, war movies. A little Pretty bit of everything. Pretty much just whatever
0: struck his fancy. hmm
2: And and, and he, w- he had just this major Hollywood career that. Span several decades.
0: Yeah, uh, he was still making. He was still making films in the late 70s. I'm not sure if he had. Did he? Was he making films in the 80s? I think he did one film in the 80s. So, uh, and this film is in 1944. This is his third film, mm-hmm. and it is uh, in the film noir genre, which is one of my favorites.
2: Yeah, and it's one of the great film noirs. Yeah, this is great American noirs.
0: Yeah, these. this is one of the seminal film film noirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Alex, do you know anything about film noir?
1: Um w- wasn't the last one a film noir too?
0: The one you were here for Vertigo and that was not film noir. Uh,
1: well but, then, then, well that tells me about well that tells me something.
0: So it's not like Vertigo. That's what you just learned. <laughs> <laughs> so film noir is is uh usually crime drama? Mm-hmm. Um usually the characters are somewhat shady. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know how much more I want to say right now.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that delineated film noir uh, in the early years was, you know, first of all, the look of it, it was heavily influenced by the German Expressionists. So very deep, dark shadows and a lot of playing with light. Okay. Uh, but also the, the main characters generally tended to be not the nicest people, which, okay. was, which was very different from what you usually saw in film those days. Got it.
0: Got it. Okay, so, oh, my my mic's. Okay, so my mic it just died, but uh, I'm going to use Alex's mic for a second and say we are going to sit back now. We're going to watch Double Indemnity. So please enjoy the film.
1: You're welcome for using for letting me, you use my mic, Daddy.
0: back. We just finished watching Double Indemnity. It was a lovely, lovely print, actually.
1: Yeah, it was very nice. I really liked it.
0: You did. You liked it. Awesome. So what did you think?
1: Um, Well, aside from
0: liked it, I guess.
1: um, Well, at at the beginning, of course, it was a bit boring, but
0: (laughs) until they get into all the murder and and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. investigation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When when they're setting up the plot, you thought it was a little dull. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. That well, part's kind good. of important though.
1: I know, but it takes I mean, a little while to get going. You know? Takes
0: yeah. It does take a little mm-hmm. while to get going. The
1: best movie zoo. So meh. Yeah. It, huh. it, it it was necessary boring.
0: <laughs> necessary boring as opposed to unnecessary boring. Yes, All I right. don't
1: like unnecessary boring.
0: <laughs> All right. So um We're you know, never one- gonna show you a Bellatar movie. <laughs> Is that all unnecessary, boring? I have a lot of things to say about Bellatark okay well that's different. that's a very different podcast It's very different. so uh, I think you know the first thing we talk about the Hayes code on this on this podcast a lot, mm-hmm. and one of the things that uh, I, I really like noir from this era, but one of the things that bothers me sometimes is I watch these characters doing these things, and I know they're not going to get away with it because the, mm-hmm. the Hayes era, uh, it will not allow people engaging in illegal activity to get away with the illegal activity. So yeah. the one thing we kind of know from the moment that these two characters um, commit murder is that they're going to get caught. You,
1: but you just don't know how.
0: The interesting thing is how are they going to get caught? Because it seems like they, they did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm figuring out how to not get caught.
2: Well, when your boss is Edward G. Robinson, you're never going to get away with anything. Yes,
0: Edward G. Robinson (laughs) is kind of, he's.
2: How great is Edward G. Robinson?
1: One thing I remember from the last time I was here, you said that you're not allowed to kiss for what was it? More than three seconds. More you know? than three seconds mm-hmm. during well, the Facebook. I, I I s- well, I counted a kiss, and I could have sworn it was like seven seconds. <laughs>
0: hmm. Were their lips touching? That's really I the.
1: I don't, I don't know. The yeah. camera was kind of facing away from it. I guess that they got away. So they—they might not have been kissing yeah. at all.
0: He could have been just whispering into her ear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess. It was all very
2: chaste. I assure
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Melissa, you, of course, have many, many notes about well, this I, film. I, I got a few. I got a few. Would you, what, um, what would you I, like I to share?
2: To, I wanted to talk about uh, Billy Wilder for a little bit. Okay. Since this is the first Billy Wilder film that uh, we've watched with this mm-hmm. podcast. It won't be the last. It will not be the last. Uh, because there are many things we should watch by Billy Wilder. Uh, Wilder was a very uh, interesting gentleman. He was an Austrian man, a uh, Jewish man, who... Uh, came of age just as the Nazis were coming into Germany. and
0: hmm. uh, I wonder why he was making movies in America. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, what, what had happened is he left Austria in 1933 when uh, the Nazis rose to power. Uh, he fled to Fla- France and he made a couple movies there, then made his way to Mexico, and then uh, tried several times to get over the US border. And the time it actually worked was he went to the border, and the border guard wasn't about to let him in. And the border guard asked, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I make movies. And the border guard goes, you better make good movies. And he signed the visa and let him cross the border. And he went to uh, an apartment in Los Angeles where he knew somebody. Uh, That person was Peter Lorre. And oh. so he and Peter Laurie were roommates for a very long time working in Hollywood as they were both climbing the, the Hollywood ladder. So if you can imagine Billy Wilder <laughs> and Peter Laurie, that's like a sitcom I want to see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be, uh, that, yeah. I'm not sure that, Alex, Alex has yeah. something to say. Who's <laughs> <Yes>. Peter Lorre? <laughs>
1: What I wanted to say was yeah. he, he said that he made a few f- things in France. Was he popular in France? Um, I don't think he
2: really got a good mm-hmm. handhold in France. Eh. He made a, a couple of films, and then, the, you know, of course the Nazis started moving into France, yeah. so he kind of eh. had to flee. Yeah. So, darn Nazis. I darn, darn those Nazis. But then, you know, we wouldn't have had Billy mm-hmm. Wilder well, over here. Yeah, and, yeah it, well, yeah. And, and the, the poor guy lost his pretty much his entire family to concentration camps. So
1: well the Nazis are good for something.
2: Okay. (laughs)
0: Let's not make that the title of the episode.
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh geez. Um (laughs) uh, out of the mouths of babes. So I I will I will let you field this one, Mr. Wick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well He wasn't the only. He wasn't the only person in Hollywood that was fleeing the the Nazis at the time. Oh yeah, Uh, they were alive. Was Laurie? I can't remember if Laurie was Jewish or if he just uh, had made his way to Hollywood. I can't remember, but he also fled the Nazis. Yeah, so.
2: And Fritz Uh, Lang left Germany and, uh, well, lots and lots and lots of people.
0: Yeah, and Wilder, he proceeds to make some World War II films. He makes Stalag 17, Mm -hmm. which is uh, an excellent, excellent film. Amazing film. Yeah, and he, again, he becomes one of the great directors of all time. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, unlike Hitchcock, who has a genre in which he works... Uh, Wilder is much more of a chameleon of a filmmaker. He kind of (laughs) finds a story that he likes and he makes it and he makes it very well. And here he's working within film noir, which is an established genre by the time Wilder makes Double Indemnity. But what he does is he takes what everybody knows about film noir and really kind of codifies it all into one film. The the language that uh, especially uh, Fred McMurray uses, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the narration where we're hearing the entire story that's already happened. Our, our, our mm-hmm. character is telling us the story in a voiceover narration. That, that
2: must be the world's longest dictaphone cylinder.
0: Yeah. That, and then, then again, Whoever yeah, had the list... you see all the cylinders stacked. Yeah, I know, I love I loved the fact that, that um, <laughs> they show you the passage of time in a couple of ways. In one, they've got just the, the increase of dictaphone cylinders over mm-hmm. time. And in another, you see the, the blood on his jacket. Every time we see him again, that, that stain is getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can see that he's been, he's been telling the story in what appears to be real time. Uh, maybe even the story he tells on the dictaphone is longer than the movie that we're watching.
1: That'd, be, that'd <laughs> make sense. And you know, I, that tells me that I'm not as much of a movie fan as you guys, because I could not figure that out. Really? Even in my third time watching that.
0: Third time watching what?
1: watching uh, Double Indemnity, that, 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 it's, that it's that long just by picking up those tiny details.
0: Well, but uh, the mark of a good filmmaker is that he puts those tiny details in there for you to see or not see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's yeah. what he's doing there. He's, he's presuming that somebody's going to notice and somebody's gonna go, he must have been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he puts in those details that, that show you that you're correct. That right. yes, indeed, he has been doing it for a long time. Uh, another thing about noir Barbara Stanwyck plays the sort of femme fatale character. These are usually uh, I mean, the, the stock character that's a, the woman that the main character feels he's helping, but who clearly has a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in this case, you really get the feeling Fred McMurray knows she has a hidden agenda from the beginning and just doesn't care.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd and say he that's just likes her too much.
0: He likes her too much. Or he likes the idea of the money too much. Or it almost feels like these two like the idea of killing somebody.
2: I think for Fred McMurray, I think it's partly a, a puzzle solver, because he goes into that big speech about, you know, you, you watch all these people gaming the system, and you're trying to outthink them, and then eventually get around to, well, how do you do the perfect murder and so, yeah. get the benefits? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it seemed to, It seemed that um, darn it, I forgot what I was going to say.
0: Okay. Never mind. Well, if you think I of guess. it, you know, I forget <laughs> no, what I'm going to say all the time.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and of course, the other of the main three in this, Edward G. Robinson, an amazing character actor, mm-hmm. uh, known more for playing the heavy than in this case, playing. Oh,
2: yeah, especially at you know this period of filmmaking, he's almost always. A gangster in movies of this era and previous. And it's
0: very rare that you see him playing a good guy. And and in (laughs) this one, he's playing a good guy. And there's there's certainly some subtext in this film. Again, this is the Hayes era. But there's
2: a there was a hell of a bromance going on there.
0: There there, there's there's some indication that there's some kind of forbidden relationship between (laughs) these two characters.
2: There's Uh, gonna be double indemnity slash fiction.
0: Either, either, either something that has has been acted upon, or something that is below the surface, because this is an era where being gay would not be something that would be something you'd say out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the last couple of lines in the film suggest a deeper relationship, mm-hmm. which is pretty subtle and clever. The way they just toss that in there right at the end. Um, mm-hmm. So, what else do you have on your lovely pad of paper?
2: Um, mostly they regarded uh, Raymond Chandler, who wrote the script. Ah, yes. Raymond uh, along with uh, Billy Wilder and Chandler collaborated on the script, and they hated each other. <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> hated each other. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, Billy Wilder was poking the bear by, you know, receiving telephone calls from girls and, you know, showing off. He was kind of a womanizer. And Chandler's kind of this repressed little guy who wrote these incredible film... Well, eventually a whole bunch of movies, but he was primarily known at the time as a pulp writer. So all these crime novels with a really arch dialogue, which with this film, his first movie script, um, kind of became the language of film noir and, and crime films of mm-hmm. the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they, they didn't get along, but somehow this got made, and, and it's definitely the language of Chandler. That's what you're hearing when uh, you're hearing all that really arch dialogue, like uh, murder son, smells like honeysuckle, and yeah, <laughs> all that crazy yeah. stuff.
0: The way, the way Fred McCurry always calls Barbara Stanwyck baby. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds she so might weird have coming a name. from him. Maybe. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the dad on My Three Sons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Baby. <laughs> it's like, is that how he referred to his wife? I mean, we never meet his wife on My Three Sons. Maybe he killed her. Mm-hmm. It's just a thought. I don't know. Maybe it's out there.
2: So, um, Oh, and Chandler is actually shows up in the movie. It's his only screen appearance. Uh, he's reading a paperback book in one of the scenes. It's about 15 minutes in.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you noticed, Alex?
1: Um. Well. Well, I remembered what I was going to say earlier. Okay, say I, it. I, I really think that um the that he wouldn't have done it if he if he hadn't have met her. Cause he I I think that it was if she was like a different woman then mm-hmm. he wouldn't have done it. He would have just gone like he, he would have just gone like no, I'm not gonna do this for you. He
0: would have just. Yeah, there was something about her. There uh-huh. certainly is something about that relationship between those two people that mm-hmm. results in murder, mayhem, and their eventual downfall. Yeah, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, he seems like a character that that had been thinking about these things and that had a desire to mm-hmm. try something, but needed to meet the right person to push him over the edge. Mm-hmm. And she was that person where, where he saw the opportunity and at least at first must have seen something in her, although by the end of the movie, you really don't feel like there's any kind of emotional connection between mm-hmm. these two people yeah. at all.
2: They have the weirdest um, chemistry
0: together. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: it's so yeah. bizarre.
1: Um, another thing,
0: mm-hmm. do we
1: ever find out why Nino goes to her house? Um, um, is it because she actually did love her? Nino loved her I mean she loved Nino all along
0: oh you mean goes to Barbara Stanwyck's house yeah Uh, no we don't well obviously we just watched the movie and they don't tell us that Uh, I think that the implication is he's trying to make uh, his girlfriend jealous Hmm. that's a really weird ploy it, it, well, <laughs> he doesn't seem like a smart guy.
2: Well, that, yeah, that's true. He's, that's
0: true. <laughs> he's pretty dumb, really.
2: Yeah. But,
0: or maybe he thinks uh, that I'm going to f- make
2: this girl jealous, so I'm going to start dating her stepmother. That just, that just goes right into creepy land. Well, you
0: know, and... Um,
2: well, it's, I suppose that's appropriate for that character as it's yeah. set up.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to start yeah. making my way out to the audience, oh, if you have any more I, I thoughts. Will, I
2: will uh, talk about, there was originally a different ending to this movie. Yes, Ooh. there was. I yeah, knew that. It was, uh, really? Yeah, it, uh, it did not end with um, Neff dying in the office. He was captured by police and then executed. You yep. Know, happy ending. Uh, but it was, with Keys looking on very sadly in disappointment and it was filmed, and I think it was on some test prints, but it wasn't, this was the ending that was actually released. Which is a far more effective ending. I really like this
1: Wait, ending. Wait, um, he, he died, I thought that, it, my, my idea was that he, it was that Keyes call, called the ambulance and he, was, and he wasn't going to die. Maybe I might- It's hard to tell. Was, yeah, oh, it's no. hard
0: to say. It's hard to say, it, he may have survived and gone to trial and been executed. Yeah or he may have died in the doorway. We, we, we know that one way or another, he's not getting out of the, the yeah, circumstance yeah. There, that he's in.
2: There is and comeuppance.
0: There is a comeuppance. Does anybody in the audience have a question or a comment? You have to wait until I come by with a microphone. I need to warn you of that, or nobody will be able to hear you. Oh, look, there's a hand right there. Here I go. I'm going to bring the microphone. I'm going to hand it to you, and you can say whatever you have to say. Okay. Uh, wasn't it explained that Barbara Stanwyck's character was luring Nino around to give him stories about how Lola was seeing someone else, so that she could drive him into a jealous rage to then kill Lola mm. and wrap up that little thing that Beth oh, yeah, was true. worried about. That's
2: true. Yes.
0: Good point. That was explained. I think the question is what brought Nina Nino there in the first place, and we don't really yeah. know that unless it was Stanwick. Maybe Wick.
1: maybe maybe Nina was seeing um oh what's the what's the daughter's name? Maybe that maybe they were seeing they were seeing um he was going for her but then she but then he sees the wife instead and, and decides that he likes yeah. her better or something.
0: Maybe Barbara Stanwyck sunk her hooks into him when he, yeah. when he showed up Because, yeah. you know,
2: Barbara Stanwyck's hot, even in a bad wig.
0: Yeah, that is a bad wig. That's a really, That's bad, a wig. really bad
2: wig. Alright, we have another I mean, comment? It, I, I would like to yeah. note that Edith Head also did the costumes for this. She and, did, but she didn't do, do the She wigs. probably didn't do the wigs. But, no. But, you know, Edith Head I think has popped up on this podcast more than any other... She did
0: a lot of films. Yeah, it's kind of amazing the number of films she designed costumes for. But you'd think with
2: Edith Head in the office, she'd say, "Hey, that's a bad wig,"
0: (laughs) and they didn't listen. I guess. (laughs) All right, sir, what's your comment? Okay, my comment is, uh, I agree with uh, this other gentleman who commented here. I think it's probably most likely that it was Phyllis, the Barbara Stanwyck character, who was seducing Nino, and I think they. Hinted in the movie at least that you know it was a uh, just uh, implying to him that yo know, Lola wasn't what she seemed, and I think uh, you know, she also tells Walter that she was you know, that she never really loved him, and I think it's likely that he she could have just seen him as a means to an end mm-hmm. you know and that she was just going to dump him you know as soon as her husband was dead
2: yeah she was just moving from guy to guy so.
0: Yeah, she seemed to pretty much be using everybody who was yeah. around her to her benefit, and when they were no longer useful, she would move on to the next person. <laughs> Does anybody else have any comment? Uh, Alex has a comment, but you've got a microphone, so. Um,
1: well, actually, I was just thinking, what, how, um, I'm thinking of how, how, what might have happened if he, if he didn't go to the, uh, to the um, apartment at the, at the end.
0: To her house at the end?
1: Yeah, what would have happened then? With, I I mean, she wouldn't have been warned. She would, But what would have happened to Nino, too, with him not stopping her? I, yeah, the him not stopping of, him.
0: The cycle of I, violence would have continued. Everybody in the entire city of Los Angeles would have been dead. It's clear <laughs> that it's it's a good thing that he killed her because she was taking everybody down. That's that's my conclusion. Anybody else have a comment? Yes. Uh, This is one of my very favorite movies because I happen to work in claims. I'm a claims adjuster. Oh, wow. And... (laughs) Barton keys of all the cinematic representations of claims. Um, he's the epitome. He's, he's got it down. I know people exactly like him. <laughs> and I'm very proud. I sit a little taller in my chair when he gives a speech about how being claims, it's like uh, being a father confessor and a policeman. And I mean, that's, that's exactly it. So. Do,
2: you, do you have a photo of Edward G. Robinson framed in your <laughs> office?
0: I don't, but I do have his, his um, speech scrolling along my, oh, my, awesome. my desktop. Oh, so. that's Oh. Do you have a little man in your chest? She does. Oh, yes. She has a little man. In your chest. You know, I don't know. I don't know if we can really go anywhere from there. So, so I'm going to come back to the That's stage, awesome. and we're going
2: so awesome.
0: we're going to wrap up. So uh, traditionally, why uh, wrap up? What we do is we offer some final thoughts. So, Melissa, do you have any final thoughts about this film?
2: Uh, one last thing. I did notice that the music was done by the late great Miklos Rosa, who was one of the great. Uh, Movie scorers of history and uh, just wonderful big lush scores, especially from like the film noir area. Great stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. Alex, final thoughts?
1: Um, t- uh, I I I'd love to say some really fine details like you two, but uh, but I I I couldn't do that. So all I can really say is that I liked it and yeah.
0: You liked it and That's yeah. That's awesome. I. <laughs> Do you know um, what? Uh, you've been at, we have the question. Yes, do you, I do.
1: He I knows know what, what indemnity, indemnity is. All right. I so. learned something. Yay! Success.
0: <laughs> and uh, you know what? I'll say what I what I particularly love about a lot of films from this era, and what I what I love about noir, especially, is the delicious dialogue mm-hmm. that that they have. And Chandler brings that, and and uh, you find that in a great many other films like this. If you go back and watch the Maltese Falcon or, or other films from this era, it is just amazing the way characters talk. And I often say that I, I think it's a shame that we don't, a lot of films these days, a lot of modern films, I, I don't think do dialogue as well as they did in this, in this era of film, because it's not as important. That doesn't mean there aren't films in this era with really good dialogue, it's just there don't feel to be as many. Uh, So, I strongly suggest if you haven't watched Double Indemnity, please go check it out. Even if you're not a claims adjuster, you will find that it is a terrific film. We are going to be back here recording at Pepito's on the 22nd of February. Currently, the plan is that is going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, that's still in the air and that might change. So if you hear this on the podcast and you show up on the 22nd, it's not that. I apologize. Uh, It's not intentional. And also our next episode, I'm very excited. We're going to be doing the Seven Samurai. By Akira Kurosawa. So please Ooh. listen to that, and uh,
1: I think I'm going to be going to that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's going to be in our living room, Alex. So you're certainly welcome to watch with us. It's really it, awesome. It is a it is a great great film. So thanks for joining us on a Real Education. We will catch you next time. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a Real Education.